This episode of Radio Vet Nurse was proudly brought to you by Zilkeen. Radio Vet Nurse, the podcast with your host, Kat Robinson. You're listening to Radio Vet Nurse, the podcast for vet nurses where we tell our story. I'm your host, Kat Robinson. Vet nursing can be a tough gig, and yet we absolutely love it. So when it comes to vet nurses, who are we? How do we achieve greatness? How do we cope with the more challenging parts of our job? Radio Vet Nurse is our way to start a dialogue around these questions and to create a space where we can tell our story. Each episode, you'll hear from a different vet nurse about their personal experiences in life and in vet nursing. In this episode, I had the pleasure of meeting Hannah, Physio RVN. One of Hannah's colleagues reached out to me and recommended her as a guest. I jumped straight onto Hannah's Instagram account at physio.rvn and found myself scrolling through her content with a huge smile on my face. It's this exquisite combination of didactic physio and rehabilitation posts with beautiful photos and these funny self-deprecating photos of Hannah's vet nurse life. Hannah is the nursing team lead at Pennard Vets in the UK. She's an RVN and is also nearly finished her diploma in animal physiotherapy. She's down to earth, lovely, and has a quirky sense of humor that shines through in her online content. She also makes me want to do my diploma in animal physiotherapy, maybe one day. If you're in a supervisory role as nursing team lead, team supervisor, practice manager, Hannah has some great things to say about working in these positions. She's had the benefit of training and seems to have found a sound approach that really works for her. I would be happy to be on a team with Hannah holding the reins. Hey Hannah, welcome to Radio Vet Nurse. Hi Kat. It's a good morning for you. It's about 6am your time and about 3pm mine. So listeners will find out where um, we're talking to you from as we get going. But first, I just want to ask, do you listen to podcasts? Yeah, actually, I'm a big fan of all your podcasts. Um, I've listened to a lot of them. So it's, it's really nice to actually be on. Um, mm-hmm. And there's quite a few other ones I listen to, like I listen to Fern Cotton's Happy Place, just because she spreads those positive vibes. And that's quite nice. Yeah, that's that's kind of it, really. And I, I, there's a few others I listen to, but it's it's mostly nursing ones. Excellent. Actually, one of your colleagues um, wrote to me on Instagram and recommended you, and that's um, and she said that you listen. When when I wrote back to her and said, "Oh, I just checked out her Instagram, and I love the content. I love what she's all about. I'm going to ask her on the show." And she was like, "Oh my god, she listens to all your episodes. She's going to freak." So um, it's nice that she reached out and <laughs> made yeah. me aware of you. We, we literally, I was like, are you anything to do with this? Because we, we talk about your podcast quite a lot. And uh, she's like, <laughs> I might be. <laughs> I love it. And I love getting recommendations from people on the ground. So if anybody works with an amazing uh, vet nurse like Hannah, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram, Facebook or email. Now, where are you from, Hannah? And where do you currently live? So I am from, I moved so far away from where I was born. Um, I <laughs> live 15 minutes from my parents' house um, and we're in the beautiful Surrey Hills. Um, oh, I live lovely. in a little place called Catrum, which is just a small town. And my parents live um, out in the countryside. So they've got a farm, um, which is just, just lovely. So I grew up with a proper um, sort of old McDonald had a farm background. Actually, you told me um, a funny story about that, that part of your entry into vet nursing was because you were from a farm, wasn't it? Yeah, so um, 
I sort of, the, the whole of my life, I've sort of been on an animal tangent. Um, and we, I mean, there are so many stories that are, are so sort of um, funny growing up on a farm from uh, the uh, goat who we rescued from a kebab shop um, to, <laughs> um, you know, open mouth, um, giving mouth to mouth on newborn piglets kind of thing. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I think I've always just been set on that animal tangent really from from that. And didn't you have like a teacher say, oh, I've got this issue with my animal. You live on a farm, Hannah. What's going oh, on? Yeah. Um, so when I was in secondary school, we did this um, topic called environmental and land-based science, which was basically uh, farming. And we used to go out the back of school and like dig up all the, the um, earth and plant seeds and stuff. And we had some chickens. And um, I got pulled out of my lessons one day and he was like, oh, Hannah, I really, really need your help. Um, one of our, our roosters has been attacked by a fox. Um, oh. And, and uh, so I got pulled out of lessons to go and look at this sick cockerel in a box. Um, <laughs> and bless him, he was absolutely covered in wounds. And I sort of oh. said to my teacher, I'm really sorry. I, I don't think he's going to make it. I think you need to take him to, to the vet. Um, oh. And my teacher was like, okay, I just, I just really wanted your advice first. <laughs> Isn't that nice? And I guess it would get you used to what becomes just uh it's I guess it's an occupational hazard isn't it like I was um going to see my obstetrician all last year and he's like a very professional kind of man and I saw him throughout my first pregnancy too and he never spoke about himself or anything he just wanted to talk about um you know how's the baby measuring da 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 da, da. except for one of my final visits um last year he's he sort of finished up the consultation and then was like do you know anywhere that I could get a good rescue kitten from? And what do you think about this shelter? And do you know the lady at this shelter? <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah, eventually someone's going to have an animal question to ask you when you're a veterinary nurse. Yeah, exactly. And you kind of, um, you just go with it really. And you're like, yeah, cool. You know, that's the right thing. <laughs> yeah, you can switch into it at any time. So, and since we're already on this tangent, how did you get your foot in the door with vet nursing? Um, actually, it was a complete fluke. Um, I never thought, God, I want to be a veterinary nurse or, or anything like that. I, When I finished school, I was actually all set to go to university to study um, equine science. Um, and they sent through the syllabus and I looked at it all. And I've had horses from, I mean, my mum was riding while she was pregnant with me. So it's been yeah. from, from day dot. Um, yeah. And... I looked at the syllabus and went, I could probably help teach this. Um, and I thought this isn't really a good use of my time. Um, so I sort of went, oh, I don't know what to do with my life. And I took a gap year um, mm -hmm. in which I just worked in some pubs and rode lots of ponies and had a great time. Um, and my um, now husband said to me, why don't you do veterinary nursing? You know, you really love animals and you've got a good background with it and you already know how to handle so many and so many things. And I went, you know what, actually, that's a, that's a really good idea. Um, so I got in contact with some colleges and over here you have to have a um, placement. Um, so you have to have a job in a practice before you can study. So um, I went on this big long list that the Royal College give you of training practices and I sent out 365 letters um, yeah, all about, you know, why I wanted to become a vet nurse and why I was interested in it. And I got two replies. 
Oh, wow. So that just shows everybody you need to cast a broad net. Yeah, I, w- I mean, I was willing to drive sort of like three counties away um, yep. to, to get a job. And I ended up, one of them was a lovely, lovely man who I definitely wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for him, um, was um, David Cuff, who had a practice in Clapham in London. And um, he said to me, you've got a really, really well-written letter. I just really wanted to meet you. Um, and I went for an interview, really, really nervous, got lost on the way there, of course. Um, <laughs> country bumpkin in the city was a bit of a, a, bit of a disaster <laughs> the first day. Um, and I met Dave and he said, well, why don't you come and work for us for a week and see if we like you, you like us, you know, learn a bit of what it's all about. Um, mm-hmm. I absolutely loved it. Um, the mm. clients were lovely. Dave was super supportive. The staff were brilliant. And uh, by the end of the week, he's like, yeah, we want you. We want you to stay. Oh, so um, that's that's kind of, it all sort of was a, a rush of events once I went, yeah, actually, I'll do this. <laughs> and so was that in London? Yeah, so that was in yeah. um, southwest London. And how far is the drive from where you were living to London? So I actually had to commute by train. So it took me two hours each each end. <laughs> Oh, wow. Did you move there in the end or? Um, well, actually, um, my my now husband was living in um, southwest London, so I crashed with him quite a lot. <laughs> oh, perfect. So, yeah, it really helped. So if I was working a late shift and then an early shift, I stayed with him. But if not, I came came home to see my ponies. Yeah. Now, I've never been a super horsey person, but I did have my horse mad period growing up, but we lived in suburbia. So for me to get my fix, I used to volunteer at Riding for the Disabled on a Saturday morning. And then I would be able, if I helped with the lessons until, you know, lunchtime or whenever they finished and with catching all the ponies and that sort of thing beforehand, getting them ready. Then afterwards, we used to be able to choose a pony and go to pony club ourselves. And I also did one lesson on one weekday um, there once a week. So I definitely had my horse mad time and I, what I've noticed in vet nurses that we employ is I think that um, it gives you a bit of an edge when it comes to handling cats and dogs and, um, you know, just domestic pets, because as somebody who rides horses, you have to be aware that they will pick up on your energy in, in a very big way. You know, you, even, even when you fall off a horse and you've got to get back on and be confident again or when you see a pony that will behave for you but it just you know is being an absolute terror for somebody else and you know that it's because it can sense the fear um so what I've noticed is that people can come in with not much experience but be excellent at handling cats and dogs if they've been horse riders or riding ponies is that something that that you can sort of speak to as well yeah, I would definitely say it really helped me because you have this sort of, you're trained early on almost to kind of go, I know I'm scared of this situation, but you've got to just shut that down and deal with what Show you've got no to deal fear. with. Mm, yeah, they exactly. <laughs> they they literally smell it. And one of my, I mean, I'm not going to say that I'm the best cat wrangler in the world. I, they know I have fear. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, same. Um, aggressive dogs and you know small really snappy terriers I'm like oh they're so small but so mad (laughs) Um, so that's that's my wheelhouse (laughs) that's right because you're like yeah a horse can kick me in the head and you know put me in serious trouble but you you, it'll hurt a little bit but you know you're a chihuahua as well exactly I always joke with the with the girls at work I'm like well it's not exactly going to rip my arm off is it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, excellent. Yeah, I think it's definitely gives you an edge being a, a horsey sort of person. And where are you working at the moment and what are you doing from day to day? 
So I work at a lovely practice called Penards in Seven Oaks, which is a um, independent practice with six branches. Um, I work at the sort of main um, hospital um, with a amazing team. I literally they the best team I've ever worked with. Um, and my job is I'm a nursing team lead, so I sort of um, share share the head nurse role with our with our head nurse, and I do all the on the ground stuff. So supporting people on the ground, um, working clinically, helping write protocols, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And is it large and small animal? Because I know you're with your the physio work that you're doing. I see a lot of photos of you with horses, or are they your own horses? Um, so it's um, Penos is only small animal, but um, the physio stuff I do. Um, and my friends are getting a great time at the minute because um, I'm nearly, nearly finished my exam. So I'm treating all of their horses um, mm. as, as part of my case studies. Um, horses are a, a big passion in my life um, and always have been. So I've really, really enjoyed the physio side of stuff with them. And they're quite, um, because they're so much bigger, you can see it, it almost is like... Um, seeing it magnified compared to a dog because mm. with a dog everything happens so quickly whereas mm. with a horse it's a little bit slower and you're like okay I've got it so now when I look at, at dogs I go right you're a mini horse and you're just moving faster <laughs> exactly yeah and you might be a little chubbier and chunkier and harder to find things on um, and I'm just looking at your I just want to direct people to to your um, Instagram and Facebook are they both physio.rvn yeah that's it so um, it's physio.rvn which um, sort of came out the blue I decided that one day I was like oh maybe people want to know what it's like one being a nurse and, and two training to do something on the side so I thought I'd, I'd share the journey a little bit. Yeah and with the physio training so you are an RVN and what is what, what studies are you doing in physio? So um, I am doing a physio diploma through the College of Animal Physiotherapy um, mm-hmm. who are a open international college, um, which is amazing. I found one of our graduates actually lives um, in Queensland. Oh, which wow. Is quite cool. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're really good. It's mostly a open forum, but you have to do 20 practical days um, over the set of your course, so where you get all your hands-on training, which I have to say mm-hmm. their um, tutors and stuff are brilliant and so supportive even with your um written work and your theory work which is great um and you mm-hmm. cover everything from um basic nutritional disorders that can affect the body you go into um how good your blacksmith is with your horse and how that can affect it and things like that it's, it's just so comprehensive i love it yeah it sounds like an amazing course and is that something that you'll be doing as a side hustle or you'll be doing some work at penards on small animals with your physio training how do you intend to use it i'm i'm kind of hoping a bit of both so i'm hoping that i can still um keep my foot in with um nursing because i I feel like i've got this far i I can't turn back on it (laughs) um Mm -hmm. and Hopefully I can do some small animal physio there and do a bit of a side hustle doing horses um, Mm. for me. That's awesome. And I mean, I love looking at your content makes me want to do physio, even though I'm a little bit like the hip bones connected to my wristwatch when it comes to anatomy. Um, I mean, I'm just looking at it now. There are some great um, cartoons and there's some beautiful photos. Do you, is your husband like an Instagram hubby? Uh, he is very much a um, Instagram hubby, but he's um, 
it's sort of my fault actually um I studied photography as an A-level and I ah. really really enjoyed it and he got into it and now he's like completely surpassed me he's amazing yeah. he can the images he can take are phenomenal and the photos so he, are beautiful yeah he loves it he's literally like are you going cheating today can I come and take some photos <laughs> yeah you've got some beautiful content and some really funny stuff too I'm looking at one of you dressed up approaching the autoclave with caution and another one of you that is like my catchphrase it's and it's it's if you leave the door open I will find you and it's you just eyeballing anyone who won't shut yeah. the door which is me at work is it, anytime I come in there I'm like shut the door shut the door shut the door escape escape shut the door <laughs> Well, it came from uh, necessity, actually. I was saying it so often, I thought everyone's going to get bored of me. So these, I made them into posters and stuck them on all the doors. I love it. I love it so much. I want to make one for ReadyVet. Yeah, the the girls thought it was hilarious and it became a bit, a bit of a thing for a while. They're like, oh, Hannah's always watching us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. I think I'm going to make some myself. Now, it sounds like you're doing lots of different things, um, both at work and with the, you know, your, your studies and the side hustle. What to you is the best part of the job? Oh, it's it, when I read this question, I went, God, I really, I really don't know because there are so many things that I love. I mean, I realized um, where we've all been on quarantine a little bit with COVID-19, the, mm-hmm. the thing I miss the most is actually my team. I love hearing about their weekends and how, mm. you know, things are going for them. And I've got a really motivated team, which is great, um, mm. who all have their own, um, they've got their own things. So like I've got physio, one of the other girls has, um, she's into feline medicine, another one does emergency. So we're all learning from each other all the time. Um, I and that. I sort of feel like I don't have that at the moment. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think it's the unpredictability and what you're going to have, who knows what you're going to have in any one day. Um, I love those big juicy cases that come in and everyone's got to sort of jump on it and, and get it all stabilized because it's just, for me, that's the epitome of, of teamwork. Mm, it's beautiful when it's all flowing and and um, when people have this unspoken language and can just all know exactly what their part is and jump on. If we just um, timestamp this interview, we're talking on the 19th of April. So obviously by the time this gets released in a couple of months, things will be different again. But just out of interest, how how is your team um, working in a different way with COVID-19 at the moment? Can you tell us a bit about what's happening? Yeah, of course. Um, so we were really, really lucky as a practice. We got involved with a app called Pets App, which is a telemedicine app, um, just before all of this, like a few weeks mm. before this all kicked off. Um, Timing. And yeah, I mean, amazing now because we are, the other day we ended up doing over 100 conversations with our clients between 9 o'clock in the morning and 12 o'clock in the um, afternoon. Wow. Um, which was just amazing and you can do video consults through it and everything um so mm-hmm. they've been doing a lot of that we've obviously reduced the amount of staff in the practice um mm-hmm. and we've put in so many protocols um, mm. which we're so lucky the clients have really gelled with and just gone you've got to do what you've got to do you're still here you're still open so we're really happy um mm-hmm. and yeah i mean the team have have risen and dealt with it incredibly Mm. And are you, is your team cohorting so that you're working in A and B groups or just less people rostered each day? Yeah, so we, um, me and the head nurse made a bit of a, a plan and uh, 
she got her daughter to name them. So we've got Team Mermaid and Team Unicorn. <laughs> um, so yeah, they're sort of we do we're doing um, three week rotations. Yeah. Oh wow. Three. So three weeks on, three weeks off. Yeah. I think that that's really wise because part of we haven't we haven't put um, team rotations in place, but part of it was because we were thinking it's just not possible to really sterilize everything for day on day off or even if you did three days and then three days or whatever like there are so many surfaces to touch that really to do a really good clean down of it is it really worth your while but I think if you're doing a three-week rotation then you can put in a really deep clean on that last day. Yeah well we're really lucky because um, one of our nurses is in into infection control and um, mm. so she and one of our other nurses, they've made this big long list. So it's everything, like literally every surface you could imagine, including mm. like the buttons of the ultrasonic cleaner and the buttons mm-hmm. of the x-ray. And you think, oh my gosh, I would have never even thought about that before. But yeah, of course, we all touch mm. it. Um, yeah. So I think sometimes you, you need to grab people in who have that vision um, yeah. to, to help. Absolutely. Because yeah, that's right. I mean, it's, it's one thing to say, okay, we'll do light switches and door handles, but there's just so much else that that we touch and that we put our faces right up close to. So I think that that's a a great move. And so you've got, are you on a three week on or off right now? Um, I'm actually not on either. I'm working remotely from home um, on the pets app and on the phone. um, Oh, wow. Because I'm classed as high risk, so I'm not allowed to be in. Oh, okay then. Well, that's really great that they've been able to cater to that though, isn't it? Are you going a little bit stir crazy being at home all the time? Do you know what? It was the it has been the hardest adjustment of my life. Yeah. Um, because as a vet nurse and you hear that like things are coming into the surgery and you're like, it's okay, I'll just tuck my uniform on and go. Um, yeah. But you have to sort of go, no, I'm being helpful from here and I'm yeah. doing everything I can. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's really tricky. Um, but luckily, like I say, I've got um, Hubby working at home with me as well. And um, he's been finding his inner carpenter and we've been making agility sets for the dogs. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> Keeps us all occupied, you see. <laughs> I've found it so much harder than I thought as well. Um, I, I've always thought of myself as a bit of an introvert and somebody who likes being at home. And I definitely am. But I I guess I neglected to see how so many little things that I do just just help me to break up the day especially with kids like for one my 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 nearly three-year-old is usually um, at daycare and at swimming lessons two and a half days of the week or thereabouts and, and I have time to do work with just my little one here but also when he is home we always go into work and take morning tea one day and that is an outing or and you know he loves visiting everybody at work and it's something to do or we'll go in and we'll do do a bit of shopping and run a few errands and that sort of thing and when you can't leave the house and when you don't have these ways of being useful and ways of just having little interactions with other humans I just I was amazed how difficult that it is yeah I from like I said um I really struggled just checking in with the team and seeing how they are and asking how their weekend Mm. was because I mean, my weekends are fairly the same, but I'm like, oh, these people are so interesting. <laughs> Tell me about life. Tell me about the outside world. Yeah, exactly. Um, whereas not having that now, I'm like, oh, I need, I need something. <laughs> I know, I know. And on that note, what weekly or daily habit makes your life better? Um, yeah, I, when I read this, uh, this question, I was a bit like, 
Well, I'm not not really sure I have any that them um, particularly, but it, it's loads of little things. Um, so I am a real creature of habit. Um, I love mm. a routine, which is why it, this whole changing it has been so um, such a problem. But I have to I have to have a cup of tea in the morning. Um, and it's very I, British. Yeah, very British. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I like to get up actually sort of 20 minutes before I need to get going just so that I can sit down, listen to a podcast and have that cup of tea and sort of mentally prepare myself for the mm-hmm. day. Um, mm. A weekly habit that I have, um, which weirdly, I've only started recently, but it's been so helpful. So I am quite a manic person and I'm on the go all the time. And if I can fit something extra into the day, then I'll just do that. Um, and I have started sitting down on a Sunday night and going through my planner for the week. So I know, you know, what meetings I have and what days of food shops coming and all that kind of stuff. And I feel like maybe mistakenly, it makes me more organized. <laughs> Oh, definitely. And I have noticed that about you because I was like, when can I interview you? And you're like, well, daytime or afternoon time, or I'm up really early morning. (laughs) Obviously with the time difference, it's difficult. So I was like, oh, how early? So because, you know, not everybody wants to be ready for an interview at 6am. But uh, which brings me to my question about your routine in the morning and how you set yourself up for the day, because you're out doing things with horses and that sort of thing uh, quite early, aren't you? Yeah, so um, every every day before work, um, whatever time that starts, um, I've got three horses to look after um, and I often try and ride one or I do carriage driving as well, so I'll ride or drive one before work. Um, yep. But I'm up, so the alarm goes off at five o'clock every morning, um, wow. which is nice, nice and early. Um, yeah. And I come downstairs, let the dogs out to the garden, um, and make a cup of tea. They then shoot upstairs to hubby and get to snuggle in bed for a bit. Um, <laughs> I tend to then sort of make lunch or breakfast or sort of get myself all prepared for the day. Um, and then I've got to get me, dogs, everything into the car. Um, and then I shoot off and do do ponies. <laughs> and your dogs go down with you and help? Yeah, so um, my parents, um, look basically look after my dogs during the day which is really nice because then oh, they get to sweet. run around and they come home stinking of farm <laughs> yeah, um, yeah but they but they love it um which is really nice so um yeah they they come everywhere with me um and yeah I mean I'd love to say I get up and I have my 10 minutes of meditation and I do some stretching and all that kind of stuff yeah but I when it's good, I, I've got all the, those things nailed down and some weeks I manage it and some weeks I don't. Um, and it just depends on how organized I've been as to whether it all happens or not. I'm still very impressed by your morning routine, even if it doesn't always include meditation or anything like that. And do you have, um, you said that you're a creature of habit. Do you have any strange habits or superstitions? Uh, I actually have hundreds. Um, <laughs> you're like, so, where do I start? Yeah, where do I start? So my grandmother is Irish. Um, and she has hundreds of superstitions, like really weird things from if a bird comes in the house, it means someone in the house is going to die. Or if a black cat runs across your path, it's really lucky. So you've got to wait until it walks past you. Um, <laughs> so there's loads of weird things like that. And I, I never thought they really affected me. And now as I've got older, I sort of think about these things and I go, oh, and then I'm like, no, 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 no. Come on. That's a, that's that's just nan. Um, yeah. But, with work and with the horses so I'm a, I'm a little bit OCD as all nurses are I think yeah we are yeah we just can't help it 
And um, so when I'm competing with the horses, I just have these like sort of three things that I really need to do. So I like to get myself dressed and then I like to get the horse ready. And then I have an exact time that I want everything to be ready to go for. And if it doesn't go to plan for whatever reason, I'm sitting there going, oh, my God, we're behind. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> you know, don't cope with that. Well, in, in practice, it's the whole, you know, you need to have three catheters out and you can't say the keyword and mm. um, <laughs> loads of loads of things like that. And don't clean theatre until we definitely know that that inpatient isn't an ex-lab. So all, all those kinds of things. My uh, great grandmother was Irish, and I I can can really um, vibe with you on some of those those funny superstitions. Like I remember my she was my nana, and I remember every time that there was a storm, she used to cover up all the mirrors in the house, like or whichever house she was in, anyone's house, she'd go and cover up all the mirrors um, with you know fabric or blankets or sheets because she was convinced that the lightning would go bouncing around the house. Um, like bouncing off off one mirror onto another and shooting around the house. And so every time there's a storm, I always look at the mirrors and I always just have that, oh, oh, the mirrors. Oh, no, hang on. No, that was just a crazy Irish superstition. Yeah, there's there's so many. I mean, it's like if you've got, um, I can't remember whether it's right or left hand, but if you've got an itchy palm, it means that it, one hand means that you're going to get money and another one get means money. you're going to lose mm, it. <laughs> lose money. I know. Yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah, it's just quirky. <laughs> <laughs> Where in Ireland is your family from? Uh, so my dad's side is from Northern Ireland. And yep. so we're up from a little town called Oma, which is where the bombings were. Okay. Um, so, yeah, they. Um, my nan was one of 13. <laughs> yeah, so, mine was one of 11. Yeah, big house. They clearly didn't have a TV. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and um, she moved over here um, like must be nearly 50 years ago now. Um, mm-hmm. And her and my granddad bought the farm and sort of started from there and started their new life in, in England. Um, and the whole family's lived at the farm ever since. Oh, that's really nice. Yeah, I'm such, I'm such a sentimental person. Um, the farm is really, really um, special to me. And we actually had our wedding reception there, which was really nice. Um, oh, and it, beautiful. Yeah, it meant that I could have all my ponies. So they all came out to take photos and, and stuff like that. So it's it's got a special place in my heart. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Now, can you think of a purchase that you've made, um, it might be for your ponies or your physio sort of side hustling or that your employers made that's positively impacted your vet nurse life in recent memory? Yeah, so um, I, I know when I listen to this, a lot, a lot of people say education and I am yeah. a big advocate for it as well. Um, but my employer, um, which I think was is really forward thinking at Pennard, they have done a lot of um, management training for um, any of the team leads and for right. they've also personality types and um, all of the staff so we can learn about how we like to be communicated to what our strengths that. are um, things mm. like that and it, it has been invaluable um, mm. and I think that's a really forward-thinking thing to do and I think in management in veterinary so often a lot of people end up being managers because they've been there the longest, not because they mm. care about how to manage the people or mm-hmm. um, particularly want to be. It just seems the next logical step. So I think that support and that 
you know, what do you actually want to do and what kind of manager do you want to be? Do you want to be the sort of very approachable, let's deal with the problem kind or, mm. you know, uh, sort of, and I've always been a lead by example person. So um, I'm, I'm putting a um, category called um, Tempo because we use um, Vet Dynamics, which is Alan Robinson. He's from um, Australia. Um, oh, wow. And he has done so much training with us. It's been brilliant. But I've learned I like to take my time over decisions and I like to have all the information. Mm, mm, mm. It is so important. I talk to a lot of guests about that, just how you've been there the longest and, you know, you've been nursing for a long time and you've been at the practice for a long time. So oh, congratulations, you're the practice manager or you're the head nurse. But um, most, or a lot of nurses get into nursing because they... They don't want to be necessarily someone who is really involved with working with people and humans and all of our dynamics. And, you know, animals are a lot easier in certain ways, but um, it it can help when somebody can just say to you, um, this is how you achieve this outcome when you've got a group um, in this situation or a group made up of this personality types. And when you realize, oh, I don't want to think about it, but I actually have to, to make the team be a cohesive unit and to get this goal, which we're all, you know, which we're all hoping for or this outcome we're all hoping for we actually have to have someone leading and thinking about it yeah exactly and I think the amount of head nurses I know who have just been sort of here's the next step here's your pay rise off you go and Mm. and I just think they there's no support there and it's actually really hard to lead a team doesn't matter how big or how small um, Mm. because everyone has different needs and you need to be aware of what they are um Mm -hmm. And I actually have found that I love the people managing bit almost more than the um, being a nurse bit actually at times. Um, oh, that's great. Because I love being able to go, it's okay, I understand your problem, we can fix this, why don't we try that? Or what are your ideas? And I just, I think we've got a really nice, honest team and, and my girls know to uh, not sugarcoat it in any way for me. If you think it's honestly completely rubbish, you just tell me. Um, yeah. And I think that's a big step to get over because, you know, telling your boss, actually, this was a complete disaster is really, really quite hard sometimes. Mm -mm, Absolutely. And I think they're really lucky to have somebody like you who is saying, look, just come to me. I would rather know. Don't sugarcoat it. And I can't do anything about it unless you tell me about it. So, yeah, and I'm really lucky that it, it, you know, everyone feels that they can do that, which is great. Mm, And it's amazing how if you're busy and everyone's busy, people will just push through their problems. And then once you get on top of a busy period or, you know, a time where you're understaffed and then finally you get another person on and they're trained up. It's amazing how when things quieten down finally and as a manager, you're like, oh, now I'll get to catch up on this. Someone will pipe up who's just been sitting patiently waiting for the right time to tell you they've got a problem. Um, And then you'll find, oh, okay no, it's not quite time now. Now it's time to deal with this problem. So um, I always find it amazing that, yeah, someone will sort of sit patiently and then when the time's right, say, okay, now that it's not crazy tick season and now that we're not short-staffed, I'm actually having this issue where I'm not getting enough exposure to this and I've got to be doing my study and would that be okay or could I do this other shift? And so, yeah, I find there's always somebody waiting in the in, patiently in the background to be to be heard when it comes to managing. So it's it really is a, a around-the-clock full-time job job yeah and I think as well those people are the people you almost need to watch even more carefully because mm. I 
like the theory of get rid of the monster while it's small. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, let's let's not sit on it and dwell on it and feel awful about it for weeks and weeks and weeks. Let's just deal with it while while it's fresh um, yeah. and, you know, get get rid of it. And it's it's gone. It's dealt with and you've not felt about it for a long time. And I mean, I'm one of the worst people anyway. I, I preach a lot. I'm not very good at doing it myself. Um, but I will hold on to something for ages going, oh, you know, now's not a good time. And they're really busy. And, yep. Oh, you know. And then mm-hmm. actually it makes it worse so that when you finally do talk to it, the release is so, so big. Um, mm. Whereas I think, God, if I'd have just said something to start off with, it it's so much easier. I agree. Speak up early because it also can become a bit toxic as well. So for people that are hanging on to it and hanging on to it, of course, it's going to become a burden and other people are going to pick up that maybe they're not happy or, you know, they're going to say, "You is everything okay? And, um, and you know, then you've got the other team hearing about the issues rather than the managers hearing about the issues, which is, you know, a burden on other people or it just sort of breeds that those niggles of discontent. And when I, when we finally do hear about issues, um, my husband's dealing with a lot more of them at the moment I'm not on the ground as much but when we finally do we're like why didn't you say something (laughs) like why did you know other people you know have to come and tell us that you're not happy about this we can fix this so yeah I agree speak up while the monster's small yeah exactly and I think as well it's it saves everyone trauma trauma although it's scary you know at least then you've dealt with it early and you've not spent weeks torturing yourself going oh is it just me or is it actually happening or you know we we Mm. can deal with things if if they're quickly sorted out um whereas I, I hate that feeling of going I'm pretty sure this person's unhappy but I've asked them and they said they're okay yeah yeah that's right and and we have that happen and we eventually have other people come to us and say this person's not happy and we're like yeah I thought so but um, um we're not hearing about it so we're gonna have to grill them now but um yeah it's always nice to to be getting a handle on those things and and um and hearing about them before they're absolutely out of control and and on that note of you know these these issues that come up every now and again in the workplace or um or you know outside of the workplace can you tell me about a time that you were able to turn defeat into victory yeah so i again this is one of these things that i'm i'm a very goal orientated person and i'm very good at going this is really hard cool i've done it next thing and so i'm not very good at celebrating the uh victories which is is something i'm working on um but Mm. when i read this i thought god what what is something that i can really think of and what i sort of came up with was um so actually, just before I got into veterinary, um, in my last year of school, which was, again, why I sort of decided to have a gap year, I was selected for the junior world team to represent um, Great Britain um, in a carriage driving event in Hungary. And wow. so, yeah, it was a, such an amazing experience. Um, and I basically got told when we... Uh, arrived there by one of the coaches that oh we decided to bring you just for the experience and I thought well I've not come all the way out here and worked this hard to just come for the experience and um, anyway at the end of the competition I came away with a silver medal so I, I was pretty chuffed with myself. Don't you love it when people say something that makes you go well I was just going to give it a crack but now I'm going to smash it. Yeah and I'm very um don't ever tell me I can't do something, basically, because mm. um, I will, even if it takes me years, I will prove you wrong. 
Um, I, and I think that's my competitive nature. I'm kind of like, I can definitely, I can 100% do that. Yeah, I, I love it. Just just dare to underestimate me because I know I will just take it and absolutely, you know, give it 110% and come out even better. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I'm really lucky that I have... Um, a really good support network at home as well and my mum's very like whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger and you've you've overcome so many things and you will you will overcome this again it's hard right now but in six months when you've done it you'll look back and go yeah yeah and how long have you been studying how long have you been working on your physio qualification um I I was a bit ambitious with that too um so I've only been studying since um November 2018. Okay, yeah. 2019, sorry. Yeah, one and a half years. Um, and they told me it was going to be a two-year course, and I, I've now I was meant to be having my final exam this week, and I, I'm oh. now having it in June. Um, oh, because okay. I was like, nah, I haven't got time for this. I want to get it done. I want to be a physio. So, um, yeah, yeah. I kind of just let passion really drive me with stuff. <laughs> Yeah, well, it doesn't surprise me to hear that you've got that mentality, you know, and you've taken on something really difficult like studying um, to be a physio because yeah, it takes it takes a real um, level of patience, I think. And for anyone who's studying veterinary nursing to say, okay, this is going to be a hard slog, I'm going to do it. Yeah, and it's, I, it's a vision that I've had for a long time. I'm one of these people who I look forward and I go, these are my goals and this is what I'm going to do and even if it takes me a really long time and I actually wanted to be a physio ever since I qualified as an RVN so this mm-hmm. is a six years in the in the pipeline dream um, mm. and I sort of said to to my husband I was like I'm going to make it happen I don't know how but this mm. is what I really really want to do I'm really passionate about it and mm. you know I was hearing some really great speakers and hearing from some really good people and I thought yeah I could do this I could definitely do this. So it's just pushing through, I think. I think that long-term thinking is a really important ability um, for anyone. And I just hate hearing people say, oh, I'd love to do this, especially if I hear them say it for a long time, because eventually I'm like, well, you could have done it by now because I've been listening to you say that for like three years and you'd be done. So you should just start. Yeah. And that, and that's what happened. And I actually moved from practice to practice um, looking for um, sort of a, a physiotherapy mentor and I got to a stage where I sort of went it's now or never and I actually paid for the course myself um, mm. and I sort of went no believe in yourself you can do this you've got you've got knowledge from nursing you know people who can help you like yeah. just believe and and take the jump just do it it's now or never <laughs> Exactly. It's up to you. Well, that is a great little anecdote, I think, just to end our first part of this interview. Are you happy if we come back after a quick break? Yeah, sounds good. Cup of tea time. (laughs) Cup of tea time, indeed. Support for Radio Vet Nurse comes from Zilking. It's a supplement for cats and dogs that can help with stressful or unpredictable situations. You know the ones, thunderstorms, travel, multi-cat households, all those triggers. Zilking contains alpha-cazozapine to help keep the animal calm. It's the same molecule that helps keep newborns calm after breastfeeding. It's palatable and easy to give. I mix it into my dog's food. Some behavioural issues are severe and Zilking probably won't help these, but it works well for many pets in stressful situations. Worth a try, right? Right. 
Hey, Kat Robinson here. You know me from Radio Vet Nurse, but I'm also the co-founder, co-owner and general manager of ReadyVet. ReadyVet is a veterinary surgery in Far North Queensland. My husband's a vet and we really, really, really appreciate our vet nurses. In case you hadn't noticed, I'm kind of passionate about nursing too. So when I told Matt I wanted to start Radio Vet Nurse to celebrate vet nurses and tell our story, we agreed that ReadyVet would make this financially possible. So thanks, ReadyVet. That's all. Carry on. Welcome back, Hannah. What advice would you give to someone about to enter the world of vet nursing? <laughs> I, I love this because um, I think of think of me when I first started and um, I think be enthusiastic, don't be afraid to ask questions and bring a notebook. <laughs> yeah, I love bring a notebook. I'm, I definitely agree. And anyone that starts with us, if I come in and see how they're going on day two or three and I see that they don't have a notebook yet, I, there's like a stack of them. And I'm like, somebody get this person a notebook. Like, how are they going to be, you know, absorbing all of this? There's so much to take in. Well, and I mean, even even now, so I'm I've been qualified now for six years and all my nurses will know that I have my, my book um, and my <laughs> book is all the things that I'm never going to remember that I need to mm. do and things that need ordering or things that people have told me and I sit down and I do my to-do list most, most mornings and add to it as the day goes through and maybe tick a few off um, <laughs> and it's so, it's so valuable to have because you, your brain's never going to take all of that in. Yeah, I agree. Pack the notebook. And what yeah. advice would you give to a student vet nurse struggling with their studies? Make it easy on yourself. Don't give yourself a hard time and don't study the things over and over again that you already know. Think about the things that mm. you don't know. So one of I never learned how to study properly until I actually started doing vet nursing um, because I never found a way that worked for me. So what I tend to do, I'm very visual. So I... Mm laminate a lot of um sheets and color them in and write on them in sharpie and then you spray them off with hairspray and start again um and what i now do is i do myself a revision guide and i only write the things in that i don't know mm -mm. because it's very and easy to go oh i'm really good at bones so i'll just do that again because it makes me feel yeah. good Mm -mm, that's and I can see from your Instagram that you're really visual as well like that must help too I've heard um, court from veterinary anesthesia say the same thing that she sort of her content started from her revising little chunks of what she was learning about anesthesia um, and I can see how your content would help with that too you know you're breaking down you know what are the extrinsic muscles what are the intrinsic muscles or um, you know how do we go about locating a certain injury or, or muscle or or bone or that sort of thing so um I that speaks to me as a visual person as well yeah and I think it's just making it easy like find a way that you remember it I mean I always um joke with people I have the the story about how the scapula got lost to remember all the all the bones of the front leg um mm. so and you know it's just finding those little things that make you go oh yeah that's what it is mm -mm. excellent and um, and and I guess from there comes knowing what kind of a learner you are as well. A lot of a lot of people talk about that. You know, are you visual? Are you auditory? Kinesthetic? Um, you know, that's a really important question to start with. Yeah, and I think it's important to find that out about yourself early on because it it just makes it so much easier if you can tailor your revision stuff to how it works with you. So I I trained with a nurse actually who used to 
make herself loads of voice notes and then would play them and play them and play them while she was um, commuting to work. And mm. she said, like, by the time I got to the end of it, I'd be like, oh, yeah, this is this and this is that. And I, I mm. listened to it so much that I knew it. And it's a bit like, um, she said, it was like memorising song lyrics. <laughs> Mm, mm, yeah, yeah, definitely. I had people that used to speak notes onto tapes as well. We're on tapes, God, showing my age. When we were doing our, um, you know, our HSC or, you know, finals, I guess you would call them, or, or um, you know, the end of high school, they would just talk and talk and talk, whereas I would write and condense and condense and condense and eventually just have trigger words that would make me visualise whole pages. So it's a really important thing to find out. Yeah, and I, th- and I think as well people try to – one, they try to take on too much at one time. And the other thing they do is they kind of leave it for maybe a bit longer than they should. So my advice would be stay up to date from the start. Don't put mm. unnecessary stress on yourself. I know. That is such good advice. And you know what? I don't think I've ever, ever, ever managed to do that in my life. And I still today have nightmares that I'm really behind. I have nightmares that, you know, my final exams are in three weeks, but I actually haven't. It'll be like maths or something like year 11 or 12 maths. And I've not done any of the work, um, but just from week to week thinking, oh, well, I'll catch up on that. Oh, well, I'll catch up on that. And then I'm like, you know, a week or two weeks out from the final exams and I've got the, the whole, you know, term or semester or year to do. And I still, will wake up in a sweat over that yeah I mean the amount of people that I know who are are still triggered by exam stress and have uh, dreams about it I mean mine I think uh, it was probably my first ever patient that I had who was um, in intensive care and we had to transfer via ambulance to another practice and I woke up in the middle of the night going the cat in ICU and my husband's going you're in bed I know, I know. It really, it really does trigger some crazy stress. My, my mum, when she was at like a, a Catholic primary school when she was really young, had her left hand tied behind her back by the nuns who wanted her to be right-handed, and that's again that Irish Catholic superstition for you. Um, yeah. But it, and so she always wrote right-handed, but left was her sort of natural handedness, um, and so that affected her in some ways growing up. Like she never had a backhand in tennis she would just switch the racket and and that sort of thing but it it, there was a major trigger for her when she did her end of high school exams and she was so stressed that she reverted back to the left hand in her exams and wrote from right to left in mirror writing on every page and they had to mark her exams with a mirror and they had to have like a yeah, and they had to have an amanuensis sit in and write the page numbers on the pages for her so that she didn't flip or invert like a six or a nine and so, or, you know, her student number. So, yeah, in in times of high stress, she will still um, do this crazy right to left mirror writing and you have to go take whatever she's written and hold it up to a mirror and be like, oh, okay, yeah, got it. Yeah, mum had to duck out, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, poor, poor us saddled by, um you know, residual high school or university or vet nursing exam um terrors and horror yeah and I think as well when you talk talk to people about exams they always love to give you their horror story about it yeah um and I'm sure it's a bit, a bit like that when you're when you're pregnant as well everyone's like oh well when I have I my child like you know childbirth yep <laughs> yeah exactly and um and I think it's important to kind of learn to manage your own stress early on and kind of go well what would happen if I didn't pass this exam I'd get to take it again um and just really find find a way through and and try not to let people um knock you off your perch so to speak 
Yes, exactly. And you are dead right. That is exactly the same as what people do to you when you're pregnant. And you're like, I did, I did not need to hear that. But thank you. I will continue on my own merry way and hope for the best. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I had it when um, I went to take my practical exams. And this lady was like, oh, yeah, when I took mine, the nurse in front of me came out of the cubicle and she passed out and we had to stop. And I just thought, and I got in there and I was so sweaty anyway. And I'm going, okay, you just got to calm down. You can do these things, the things you do every day. I can't remember the exact set of sentences, but it's up in my GP's office and it's really relevant to this. And I think it says like, is it true? Is it helpful? Um, And there's a list of questions you can ask about that, which sort of comes to mind when people are saying these things. You have to be like, is that helpful? No. Is it true? Maybe for some people um, and just be able to sort of shake it off. Yeah, exactly. And I remember um, at one point in my practicals, I got got out and it hadn't gone completely perfectly, but I was like, "It's, it's fine. I still managed to do everything. And I sat on the stool outside and I thought, you've got to get a grip because this is going to go on for another hour and a half. You've got to get a grip. Yeah, yeah. And practicals can be really, I mean, some people just are so scared of public speaking and that sort of thing too. So um, there's a lot to get over just in in doing that. Like I, I had one nurse um, who hated even just getting filmed for her assessments. She refused to talk in the videos. She sort of struck up an agreement with the um, the training organization where she would put subtitles because she was just she was just so paralyzed with fear that she couldn't even speak and say, in this video, I'm positioning the patient um, you know laterally to prep for such and such. She just couldn't do it. So for some people, there's um, just a whole heap of initial fears to get to get over. Yeah, and I think as well it's it's learning that it's okay if you do get it a bit wrong or if you stutter or if you, I think I think we have this perfect view in our head of how all these things should be. And I mean, I'm far from it on my my social media. I try really hard to be my my honest self and I've got a quirky mm. sense of humor. And and I think it's just important to remember that at the end of the day, you're unique and you should be true to you. And if you get it wrong, don't worry about it. Everyone does it and everyone will think, do you know what? They're just like me. That's what, and you know, perfect is the enemy of good. If you try and wait until something's perfect to put it out there, be it your content or whatever, you're never going to do it because you're just going to sit there going, oh, it's not quite right or what exactly did I say? So, um, you know, just make it good. Just make it good, guys. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree. And I, I've, I've actually heard that um, saying from you before. I think it's one of Matt's actually. Yes, that's right. Yes. Gosh, you have listened well. It was his uh, one of his old bosses with orthopedic surgery said, perfect is the enemy of good. Yeah. And I, I, it really stuck with me, actually, for a lot of things, because I'm like, well, is this is this good? I and mean, could we make it more perfect? And I'm like, well, no, actually, this is fine. Yeah, exactly. Make it good and then get on to the next thing and make it good. Yeah. And, and I, I always try and I've got a really good um, carriage driving coach and she, and she goes, there's never nothing you've never not learned if you've made a mistake so if something's not gone perfectly you've learned something from it yeah and they also as you were saying before it gives you that sense of relief of oh I did make a mistake and the world didn't end and I just got to try again yeah exactly and speaking of these great recommendations that we're hearing um, are there any bad or old recommendations that you're hearing that you think that we should be replacing with more useful or modern information Oh, so many. <laughs> um, <laughs> you, um, I've 
I've been really lucky and I've worked in lots of different clinics and I find you still get somewhere you've got a really old school vet who uh, wants to use cat gut and wants to uh, scrub in with no gloves on and, and that sort mm. of stuff. And, you know, mm. they've done it for years and they, they know it's perfectly fine. But you're kind of like, yes, but here's this paper that says we should be doing this. Um, mm. And I had one job where I worked with a really, really old school vet and he was very cats don't feel pain. Um, yeah. and I came to him with all the papers and I was like, I really need to talk to you about this because it's making me so uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> um, and actually, I think in the end, he just started giving cat space and um, Metacam to go home with just to keep me quiet. Yeah. And sometimes you need to do that. Like just, you know, just be so annoying that they change. You won't convince them, but they'll just want to shut you up. Exactly. And I was uh, relentless um, for the time that I worked with him. And I was like, oh, do you know this cat would really benefit from some metacam? <laughs> um, but with uh, physios, um, coupage is still a really big thing. Um, What's still a really big thing? Um, coupage. So, you know, where you cup your hands and you, you bang oh, yeah. on your chest? Yes, um, yes, yes. So um, I listened to a really good podcast from the um, physiotherapist at the Royal College and she says she was like please stop doing coupage on patients mm. um, because basically when you're when you're banging the chest and the patient's sitting upright particularly their cough receptors are at the front of the chest and you're banging all that mucus and it's only going to follow gravity and go down further into the chest and create a pneumonia oh right okay yeah and as soon as you think about it you're like obviously Mm, mm, <laughs> um mm. and so now I'm like please stop doing coupage <laughs> yeah gosh that's an important one to build some awareness around yeah and I think it's fairly new information but um I mean I've worked in clinics where people are doing even coupage on dogs who can't actually cough um because mm. they're in an induced coma or you know for for some reason or another and I'm like please stop <laughs> <laughs> we um we haven't had an old older vet like that work with us obviously because we've been a new practice and it started just with Matt but um we did have an old vet as a locum once and he um he took he was taking x-rays with no absolutely no PPE like no lead apron nothing and um Matt and I were away and the girls were saying to him like oh aren't you going to put your lead apron on and he was like nope I've had my kids <laughs> oh, <laughs> as, no. if, as if that was all like he cared about and we also at the time we hadn't been open for long so we had council restrictions at the time um that we couldn't treat um large animals on site um but we let him borrow our car which when we first opened which was a 1989 toyota camry and the front passenger seat belt didn't work so whoever was driving sat in the front and whoever was not driving of matt and i sat in the back so it was like driving miss daisy every time we came to work (laughs) and um we let we let him borrow that car while we were away and he was i don't know we were at a wedding or something and he was locoming for us and someone rang with a sick pony um, and instead of him saying I don't know if it was like a, a miniature pony or a Shetland or whatever but instead of him saying oh we can't treat large animals on site he got in our Camry and drove to this person and he put the pony in our back seat and drove it into ready vet <laughs> and um and I was like I I need that back seat like I can't sit in the front seat how has there been a horse in a pony in the back seat of my car that I sit in every day so yeah I definitely know these vets that are like yeah sure we can we can deal with that and no I don't need a lead apron I've had kids and surely there are no other vital organs that need protection from x-rays 
yeah exactly and you kind of you hear these like weird and wonderful stories and you're like oh okay <laughs> but actually uh when you were saying about the the pony on the back seat um one of my my at-home farm stories so my first ever pony that um I had I was only six months old at the time as was as was he so we were born at a similar time um Aww. he my parents bought him from a market and he was only he'd been taken from his mum too early and had six market stickers stuck on his neck that they had to soak off um and my mum and dad felt really bad for him and they bought him for a a uh, huge price of £45, um, didn't didn't have anything to take him home. So he sat on my dad's lap the whole way home in the back of a Mercedes car. Oh, that's a good start to his new life. Yeah, and now he's 28 and still still going strong. So. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's a super long time to have a pet. That just blows my mind. Yeah, he's, he's, he's like a team mascot now. <laughs> Oh, blessed. Does he live with you or at your parents? Uh, he lives at my parents, but he'd quite happily come and live in my garden, I reckon. <laughs> oh, gosh, he sounds beautiful. Um, well, I'm glad that you convinced that vet to start giving um, some non or something like that as, um, as some analgesic because uh, analgesia, because uh, definitely that's one of our main roles, isn't it, is advocating for the patient, particularly with these old school vets who um, are relying on what they learnt 30 years ago in vet school. Yeah, exactly. And I think as long as you present um, all the information to people, you know, you've you've got your back up in that, and you can go look. You know, I've got the papers, and I've researched it, and you know, you're you're not only sharing your opinion, but the opinion of all these people who have done the research. Um, so you know, don't be afraid to kind of question stuff or, or go, well, why did you do that and and not this? Yeah. Can I just ask? And you know, asking a question is is never something someone should get told off for. Um, and yeah. better to ask a question and be a fool for five minutes and not ask it and be a fool forever. Definitely. And I mean, it doesn't even, we don't even have to be thinking about like, oh, these vets that aren't, you know, giving appropriate analgesia with eye rolling or anything like that. We can just be thinking um, of these vets as, okay, well, of the conferences that they've been to in the last five years, they were probably focusing on other streams or they may not have seen this particular um, article or new school of thought. And so you can present it in a way that um, is respectful and professional. And, you know, we have protocols that are in place just due to our nurses coming back from conference and saying can we start using fentanyl everybody seems to be using fentanyl or coming back saying I think we should be sending you know home desex patients with x pain relief to, to go home with and that sort of thing so it's always received well if it's presented well I think yeah and, and I also think it's that sort of um professional courtesy as well and sort of going you know I've looked at this patient and I've been looking after your patient and I've noticed their pain scores getting worse um, mm, can we talk about mm. it? You, you know, it's coming at it in a non-aggressive um, sort of open way. Going, you know, let's just let's just have a, a professional chat about it. Um, exactly. I've had some where they've gone. There's physically no more pain relief we can give that patient. I'm really sorry. Mm-mm. Or there's this other reason why we can't is because this patient's also got, you know, this underlying renal issue or, um, you know, there's this other consideration that we have or it needs to go back and have this further procedure and that's why we're doing this. But um, And what you said about the pain scoring, that's a really nice objective thing to refer to rather than just saying, 
oh, I don't think he's had enough or, oh, I think he's painful. You know, you can say, um, you know, I was pain scoring yesterday and today and here's what I've um, been able to, to, to record. And I think that, you know, we're noticing a downward trend or an upward trend. So that's a really good objective thing to point to. Yeah. And I think as nurses as well, it's, it's nice for us to kind of go, my clinical judgment is in this pain score that I've done for you. Can we, can we just talk about it? Mm-hmm. And, and I think I, I love that more, more and more teams are getting that sort of um, good strike, so to speak, because uh, traditional teams were very, um, I'm the vet, I've told you what to do, you're the nurse, you do what I say. Um, yeah. Whereas now we're becoming more professionals in our own right and it's more, actually, this is your area. I mean, our vets yeah. are brilliant at going, I couldn't place a bandage on that patient to save my life. Please do it for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, they're very good at, at referring things like weight clinics and nutrition clinics to us and going, you know, you guys know way more about it than we do. So I'll, I'll leave that with you. Yeah, and it's such a good strategy in this day and age for, you know, there's a shortage of vets in the States, in the UK, in Australia, and that's where we need to be leveraging nurses and having vets say, you can do the bandaging and you can do all the blood draws and you can do this weight clinic and that sort of thing. So, um, and I think it's a really important area too, though, to be keeping an eye on juniors and training them up um, because it's, it's hard to remember a time when you didn't understand those subtleties involved in pain scoring. Even if you don't have a chart in front of you as a veterinary nurse, you're always sort of doing a mental pain score. Whereas um, we've had, I remember a junior about a year ago came out and said, um, oh, I think we need to put a blanket on this dog because he's cold um, and, and he hadn't been pre-medded and, and, you know, it was a big burly, you know, dog. And we were sort of thinking, really, why is he cold? And we came out and had a look and he was anxious, you know, and to us, you know, we could see the saliva and we could see the shaking and we could see, you know, the nervous pacing and won't lie down. And we had to say, oh, okay, this is stress and anxiety and fear. This is not cold. And so it's, it's an important thing though perhaps second nature for somebody who's been nursing for a long time it's an important thing to talk about as well with juniors like see what we're noticing with this patient this makes me think he's a bit painful see how he's tucked up or see how he's guarding here or see how he's um, been biting and mouthing a little bit on this bandage so they're important things to just talk about as we notice them as well yeah and I think um, subtleties in behavior are a big big thing um, because actually if you don't know um <laughs> you know, those those little things to look at. For example, like um, rabbits and sometimes cats can be really good at hiding pain um, mm. because, you know, they, they don't want any, any other animals to think they're weak or anything like that. And I was, <clears throat> sorry, um, I was really lucky. I had a head nurse who was really, really interested in feline behavior and she would mm. get me to look at each cat in the kennel and she'd like go, okay, how's that cat positioned himself? Does he look like he's about to run out the door? Does he look mm. like he's about to bury his head in the corner? And sort of before mm. we handled any patient, look at it first, look at what you, mm. what, what they're telling you beforehand. Um, and I think, we were talking about um, sort of horse sense and stuff earlier and, you know, mm. how you approach your horse, you're looking at them going, okay, are you going to run from me? Are you going to run at me? You're sort mm. of analyzing the whole time. And I think that's a really important thing, like you say, to, to teach people early on. 
Mm, exactly with big animals you're just watching even the shifting of the weight like we've got three cows and when Matt's down there feeding them you know he and I'll both go oh because we just see the weight shift um so that you know we can tell okay it wants to kick him (laughs) you know it's so subtle and to somebody else they might not um know and of course our cows are really nice and they never do but we both like oh naughty cow we saw that you thought about it so yeah it is it is great um to pass on that knowledge if you have it and if you're just starting out to to talk about that with other people you know you might just be down in the kennels or in the hospital room cleaning or whatever but um, before you see somebody else approach a cat you know say like what are you noticing about this um, animal that's making you think you need to reach for a towel or you don't need to reach for a towel or you want to get some extra pheromone or you know you want to grab the slip lead and make sure the door's shut like what are these little things that you're noticing yeah and I mean one of the biggest tips that I've always had um from some head nurses is do not go near a patient if you are anxious yourself you know mm. you've got to calm your own register take Mm -hmm. a second so for example everyone's done it they've got that aggressive cat that's already sort of hissing and swiping at you from the corner and you're thinking oh my god i've got to get it out it's going to pull all the bedding out it's going to you know the litter tray is going to smash on the floor there's this mm. whole hype and you're kind of getting yourself ready and you're grabbing a towel and maybe putting the gauntlets on. And then my old head nurse said, by all means, use all the protective equipment you want because that's to protect you. But just calm down and try and go mm. in like it's a normal patient. Just mm. relax because once you've got the gauntlets on, if they bite you, they're not going to hurt you. So just, just calm it, take a second, open the door, do it quietly and, and go, go from there. Because she said 90% of patients who are aggressive are just anxious so you know if you were anxious and someone grabbed you out by the scruff of your neck and sort of ended up like pulling you in and holding you really tightly you you'd probably get even more anxious and mm. um, so I yeah. think just taking that that little step back and also not being afraid to go this is not the right patient for me I I can't deal with this one somebody else is better <laughs> Yeah, that actually reminds me one really funny thing that Matt will do if he's been called in, like bringing the big guns because we've got like that little Jack Russell or whatever it is that just wants to eat everyone. And eventually everyone's like, Matt, this is one for you. Um, and <laughs> he will like put on a voice that's the opposite of the situation. Like and it just makes everybody just chill and relax and, you know, just um, makes the energy, you know, just just that just takes that weight off and, and stops everyone from being like sprung coils around this poor dog that um, as as you say just is feeling anxious and just we really need to get that pre-med in this dog especially so let's all just do what we have to do and shake off our energy and lighten up a little yeah exactly and and like I said before I love those little little snappy dogs because I'm just like oh you're so cute but so small and so mad um, and yeah and and I think it really works and um with um super anxious patients what I do is just to keep that like calm voice, um, everyone thinks I'm mad, but I tell them the story of the three little pigs <laughs> <laughs> because that way you're just talking all the time and it's really consistent and relaxing and you've kind mm. of got this dialogue that you already know and it's it's the equivalent of someone holding your hand and sort of going, it's going to be okay, I'm going to be here, yeah. I'm not going to leave you and you kind of go, oh, okay, <laughs> that's great. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's that's funny because that's what um, phlebotomists do when they give uh, when they take blood from me. I think maybe they can tell that I'm a bit anxious. You know, when someone's taking your blood and you're like stressed and you know, and then they start going, "So, what did you do on the weekend?" And you're like, "Oh, well, I did this and that and the other." I think it's the same thing. It's like distracts you from from knowing that anything's happening, and before you know it, it's all done. You're like, "Oh, we were just having a nice talk. That's great." And you're like, "Oh, perfect, finished." <laughs> Mm, mm. So that's a really good strategy. And this question I think is really pertinent to everything that's happening in the world at the moment and all the changes we're all getting used to with COVID-19 and um, extra stresses that, you know, have not necessarily been an issue prior to this. Um, And prior to this, we always needed these coping mechanisms. But how do you look after your mental well-being and prevent compassion fatigue? And if you're feeling overwhelmed, what do you do? So I am really bad at this for myself i'm very good at telling other people you know you can't pull from an empty cup and you should take a bit of time for yourself um i am hideous at it when it comes to myself um Mm -hmm. and i it's something i really have to go it's it's okay to stop and it's okay to just have a nap on the weekend because you're a bit tired and Mm. it's it's really for me i am uncomfortable if i'm not productive all the time um, yeah. so it's teaching myself that those things are okay when I'm really overwhelmed um, there are two two things I like to do uh, one of them is get on my horse and go for the biggest ride on my own that I absolutely can and I chat away to the horse and I go for a good canter through the woods and I kind of feel that I'm free and I'm on my own and it mm. takes the stress of life away um, and the other thing I actually um and I'm sure so many people do this, is it's all right to have a good, good cry about it and move Mm. on. And Mm -hmm. so many of us, so much of the time, especially when you're in work and you feel really stressed and you're like, I don't want people to see me cry. You hold it all in. Um, Mm. And it it makes it really bad when it does come out. And I um, listened to a dressage rider called Abby Lyle, who I really like. And um, she said, sometimes you've just got to, feel all the emotions about it mm. and then carry on. Mm. It's like a slow leak otherwise and it just you, sometimes you just need to open the floodgates and let it out. Yeah, exactly. And I, I always joke with people because I, I say I probably cry once, maybe twice a year. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, so it's not much actually. Um, and I'm trying to learn to just feel something really, really passionately and go, mm. okay, it was rubbish and it was hard, but we've, we've dealt with that now and we're going to dust ourselves off and we're going to try again. And I mean, we hear about this British stiff upper lip mentality. Do you think that 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 is an accurate stereotype? Oh, I mean, we're, we're terrible for it. I I mean, I, one, I hate people seeing me cry because I'm an ugly crier. I have lots of chins. And lots of <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, it's very much a thing of, you know, we can deal with anything and we should we should be able to put a face on it and deal with it at a, an appropriate time. And do you know what? It doesn't always come at an appropriate time. I would mm. rather someone cried at me for half an hour and then went, God, do you know what? I feel so much better um, yeah. than kept swallowing it down, swallowing it down until they can't cope anymore. And I think um, that is responsible for a lot of people feeling really overwhelmed and, and like we said earlier, not talking about their problems to people or mm. you know not dealing with the monster while it while it's small and i think if we all got a little bit better at talking about how we feel and and dealing with it then that would be that would be great 
Yeah, definitely. And what do you think is the main area of our industry that needs attention or improvement? I really think um, people to have management training and um, support Mm. in new roles because I remember my first head nurse job and it was sort of like, oh, well, you're going to be our head nurse now. And I sort of got a shove in the back and gone, you'll be great. (laughs) Um, Mm. And I thought, okay, I've never done this before. I'm not really sure what I'm meant to be doing. Um, I've gone into a team who've worked together for the last 10 years and I'm a new person and I've got to come in and tell them, you know, how to change things and that's not going to go well. <laughs> and mm. um, I just think having having that support um, when you first move into it and having um, some training on, you know, okay, this, this person, you can tell by the way that they communicate that they don't like having messages. They'd rather you spoke to them in person and things like that. Yeah, yeah. I I have um, discussed this before on the show, but I I wish that I had had management training before I um, before we opened ReadyVet because I was managing a team and I hadn't yet finished my qualification and I had never managed people except you know I'd managed people in a small bar in Melbourne but you know very different but my first I learned so much by making mistakes and and I wish that I had have learned you know some theory beforehand so I didn't have to make so many because when we first opened I was like well this is going to be this utopian workplace where you know there's no hierarchy there's no one nurse that is you know doing different things to another nurse because she's got more training or experience or qualification everyone's just going to be able to do everything and also I'm not going to dictate where you're working or if you're in surgery or at the front or at the back it's just going to happen because people don't need to be micromanaged and I'm not going to tell you when to have your lunch break. Um, And over the years, I learned that those things can't happen. Like if we don't tell people you're having lunch, well, if we don't just get one person to say, let's figure out what time everyone is having their lunch break, then no one has had their lunch break at 2.30. And everyone's like, oh, all the discharges are happening in half an hour and no one's had a lunch break, you know, because people just want to keep going. Um, So you're much better to say, no, you're going at 12, you're going at 12.30, you're going at 1, you're going at 1.30. And the same with um, when I used to sort of say, you can just be working wherever, we'll all just end up where we need to be. Instead, I would be the only one out the front with all the phones ringing and clients coming in. uh, And if one person wasn't in charge of the discharge, that afternoon then uh, patients would go home without the antibiotics they were meant to be taking and we'd all be like oh why is this dog's antibiotics still here and they live 45 minutes away and now they've gone home um, and they left an hour ago so now we've got to ring them and they've got to come back and so if you don't have that one person who's like I am doing all of the discharges this afternoon then then no, the tablets won't necessarily get handed over because you get that diffusion of responsibility. So there are so many of these little things that I learned by basically having a totally rubbish approach to managing for a long time. And so I, I totally agree with you. I would love um, to have had the opportunity for someone to say, here's a good way to um, approach this, or here's a good way to package this, or here's a good way to structure the team or the day or, you know, the, the running of the various um, things that need to happen. So um, I think that's probably one of the things at the top of my list as well. Yeah. And I, and I think um, if people haven't had it, they don't, sort of understand how good the value of it is. And I mean, I know every single um, head nurse dreads coming to sort of tell someone off or say, Mm. um, you know, pull someone up on something. And actually, um, through some management training, I learned a really good technique from um, Alan Robinson. And he calls it the iMessage approach. So you go in and you go, I've noticed this and I would prefer if you did it this way. So it's all about 
how you view it instead, instead of saying, well, actually, a few members of the team have come and said you're doing this and that's not right. Um, <clears throat> so that you're sort of accepting it. And I think it's, you know, people love routine and they love structure, but they also like an opinion on it. Um, so we mm. sort of have an open forum um, in our practice where people can come and say, oh, yeah, maybe we could try this with the rotor or maybe we could try that with the rotor or have you thought about this? And a lot of the time we go, no, we didn't. Well, why don't we try that? Um, and I sort of go with the opinion of two heads are better than one, five heads are better than two. So if anyone has any feedback or opinions, then giving that would be great. Exactly. And I think that that's quite a modern approach to, um, to management as well, just to, to be quite humble and to be saying, well, you guys are on the floor doing this one thing more than I am. So come and tell me if you can think of a better way to do it. And I think that that can also get people to accept a situation that's less than ideal. You know, like if you're short staffed at this particular time of day, or if you have a certain time of day, that's always just a bit of a mess. You can say, can anyone think of a better way? And if nobody can, then people can go, Oh, okay. This is why it's always difficult for that one hour, but this is as good as we can make it. So we just push through. Yeah, exactly. And I think, um, knowing how to communicate with your staff as well is so important and, knowing that certain people respond better to certain things and knowing what their strengths are. Because, I mean, how many of us come in and go, yeah, I'm really good at organising this or I'm really good at doing that? We're all very, very quick to say, oh, I'm not any good at that. And we don't say what we are good at. So working out quite quickly what, what people are good at is, is a good way of using them and going, hey, you're great at this and you love it. Can you do it for me? Yeah, tailoring to people's skill set and knowing people's triggers like as you said before all nurses well a lot of nurses are perfectionists and you know OCD the term gets thrown around about us um and I I really noticed that um during I guess the initial period of upheaval with COVID-19 like so many of us struggled because instead of working in this predictable routine that we've honed and that we've um, made perfect, instead we had, you know, this period of a few weeks where every day a new protocol or a new change came into place and things were not perfect. And, you know, we were flying by the seat of our pants a bit. And I think a lot of us really struggled and I got to see who is more in the camp that I, that I sort of sit in, which is that, you know, that really OCD kind of things will run this way camp because those of us who felt that way really were unsettled by the whole, um, by the whole series of changes more so than other people who could just take it in their stride. So I think knowing strengths and weaknesses and tendencies and all of that sort of thing can make you a great manager as well. Yeah. And, and I, I just appreciate having, having had that so much um, because I feel like it, it's made me a better leader. It's made me more accepting of my mistakes. And um, the lovely Katie Ford um, has a quote for me because I'm one of these people, if I've made a mistake, I'll beat myself up about it and go, oh, I should have known that wouldn't work and, and things like that. And she said, every mistake, uh, every genuine mistake is just a good intention that went wrong. That's um, true. So, yeah, as long as I feel like it's come from a good place, I can go, yep, it went wrong. I'm really sorry. I, I meant well with it, but it didn't mm. work out. Mm, that is that is a lovely quote and I'll put a link to Katie Ford because I know you and I were discussing her a little bit in the break and I will also put a link um, to this management person that you're mentioning um, is it Andy Robinson is that who it is it's Alan Robinson so um, Alan it's, Robinson. Uh, Vet Dynamics 
Vet Dynamics. I will put a link to Katie and to Alan um, because um, I know that they're two people who have really helped you in your um, your management or your lead nurse sort of role. And you must do a great job at, at it because after all, you your name was put forward to me by one of your co-workers. So you're obviously doing an amazing job and you're being a great leader. And um, I'm sure everybody who is um, working with you is really lucky to have you on board. Well, my, my team are like my little family and I always say with, with family, it means you're always there. So um, yeah. I, I put everyone, you know, everyone matters and everyone has an opinion and I think that's really important. And uh, they, you know, I just love them. I'm very, very lucky um, to work with a group of individuals who I just think are amazing at everything they do and I'm proud of every day. Oh, that's that's a beautiful way to wrap up. And just lastly, if you can reach out and thank a mentor who's helped you in your career, um, who would it be and what would you say? Oh, I mean, this this is so hard for me because I've been um, graced with so many amazing mentors. Um, I think I'd really have to say um, it would have to be to David, who um, David Cuff, who gave me my first step through the door. And just to say thank you for you know, <clears throat> taking a risk on me and believing that I could do it. And um, one day when I get my amazing rehab center open, there will be a David Cuff wing. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah, no, he's he's really shaped me. And another person who has meant a lot to me are my two first head nurses at Dave's, who were Mary Rose Fitzpatrick and uh, Mark Vince. And just thank you for teaching me that, I could do it and thank you for making me the manager I am now and just being there through the tears, the tantrums and the the panic attacks. (laughs) Oh gosh. So yeah, I was a nervous wreck as a student nurse and and I want to tell everybody that it's perfectly normal for the first year to just be more stressed than you've ever been in your whole life because you don't want to get anything wrong, but no one expects you to be perfect on day one. None of us were. Um, so don't worry it's a journey and you'll get there I'm glad to hear that you had that experience too because I definitely had that experience of the tears the tantrums and the panic attacks but I just thought it was because it was my husband you know how you can play up a bit more with your husband (laughs) and yeah I definitely had those experiences Um, so I'm actually yeah relieved to hear that it wasn't just me maybe it is uh, one of those universal human experiences for people starting off in nursing yeah, I think it is because you feel like you've got so much responsibility. Like if anything goes wrong, you're instantly like, oh, my God, that was me. And oh, it could have been really, really bad. And you feel like you've mm. got this momentous responsibility. But the truth is, we know with you know new people straight off the mark, we're not going to give them anything super serious to do yes. anyway. So actually, those mistakes that they make are just learning experiences. And it's not going to be life or death. But to them, they think it is. <laughs> Yeah, and you don't understand that that people have um, set a limit for you and that you're not actually, you know, you don't actually have the weight of the world with this patient on your shoulders. You know, other people are watching and they're going to pick other things up. It reminds me of um, when we were kids, my brother did the MS Readathon, which in Australia you read books and you get sponsored to read books and you raise money um, for MS. And uh, at the end of the MS Readathon, he raised more money than anyone else in the school, even though he was only about six or seven. And my parents said to him, oh, you know, aren't you really proud you got in the newspaper and you raised all this money for the MS readathon well done and he said but I didn't find the cure to MS 
and he oh. thought he was reading like Spot Goes to the Park and The Cat in the Hat, um, looking for the cure for MS. Um, so <laughs> what you're saying is reminding me of that. Sometimes when you're a student, you think that you're, um, oh, I haven't figured out what's wrong with this patient or, you know, I didn't stop this um, deterioration from happening. And it's like, no, no, we were just getting you to walk them and write on the cage card. Um, and, you know, we're actually doing the pain assessment as well. And we're actually making sure that you, you know, set the fluids up again properly when you came back in from walking them. And it's okay. You're, you're not, you're not trying to fix, you know, the, the problem or find a solution. You're just learning these basic skills to build upon. Yeah. And I think when you, when you start somewhere new as well, you, <clears throat> you want to impress people and you want to show them that you're giving it your all. And the thing is, we, we all know that you're trying really, really hard, but we don't expect you to you know, pop out a fully qualified nurse and know exactly everything from day one. Um, mm. And I think we're all very quick to, um, you know, um, celebrate our failures, so to speak, instead of going, mm. do you know what? I brought this dog in today and I put it back on its fluids without any help from anyone. And I got you to come and check it and it was right. Exactly, um, yeah. So, you know, it's really about um, celebra celebrating the things you're good at. And I mean, if we all think to the first time we placed a catheter or the first time we did a blood draw in fact I can remember the first time I did a blood draw the vet went you see me do it a million times get so and so to hold it I, I'm not going to watch you I know you can do it and uh, <laughs> I was so so nervous and I actually hit the blood the first time and I was like oh my gosh I hit the blood the first time and he's like what did I tell you <laughs> Exactly. Think back to those times. Like the first time I put a thyroid guard on, I put it on my head like a cap. Exactly. And, you know, and you go, okay, now I know not to do that. <laughs> Next time I'll do better. Then I can, everybody's laughing at me. Now I know why. Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, we're, we're very, we need to celebrate those little things. And like, I love it. I, one of our students recently came to me and was like, oh, I've got a really good idea for the cats in the cattery. We could give them dig boxes. And I was like, do you know what? If that's a great idea, if you want to get it all together, bring it back to me, show me, and we'll we'll crack on with it. And she was so chuffed that it was something that she could do. Mm, um, mm. That, you know, it's really important sometimes to just nurture that and let it roll because I thought, God, when you know a bit more and you can, you know, you're going to apply that to other stuff, um, mm. you'll be a really good key member to have so yeah, yeah really impressed. exactly nurture it well hannah it's been so nice uh talking to you and we started teeing this up ages ago and you know various things have happened including like global pandemic and so i've been watching your content and really looking forward to it and i have not been disappointed it's been really enjoyable getting to know you a bit more oh well thank you very much and it's been really nice to uh, be on one of my favorite podcasts <laughs> that's awesome very good well you take care and I will be watching out and I hope other people can um, jump onto and have a look at the amazing physio RVN pages and let's stay in touch and you take care thanks Kat thanks for listening to Radio Vet Nurse the podcast to help us make more free episodes subscribe and leave a review Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Radio Vet Nurse or drop in at RadioVetNurse.com.